So today's sermon is turn the page to your new job. Turn the page to your new job. Our central scripture today is just a couple verses from the prophet Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 and 2. And we'll be turning to Isaiah 40, 1 and 2 in a few minutes. But first, we'll prepare to turn uh, that page. As you can see in your notes, the first and main message of the sermon today is turn the page. Turn the page. Jesus, in the early months of his public ministry, became very known very quickly through various miracles and the power of his teaching. And Matthew tells us that when Jesus was engaging in that first and central major year of public ministry in the Galilee, that Jesus, one time when he saw all the crowds coming for him, he was attracting a whole lot of crowds, that he went up on the mountain, Matthew says, this is Matthew chapter 5, and he sat down and his disciples came to him. So his disciples were closest to him in front of the crowd. They're on the mountain and Jesus began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Matthew also records, this is in Matthew chapter 11, if you're reading along in the gospel, that later on in Jesus's ministry, at one point, Jesus gave a tremendous prayer of praise and thanksgiving to his Father in heaven and said, thank you, Father, that only those to whom you reveal the Son can know the Son. And I give thanks that you have revealed your son, in other words, Jesus, me, uh, by your grace to little children and to those who aren't important. You, you show your sovereign grace and power through bringing those who are the least of the world to know me and to be saved and to be citizens of your kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus, after this prayer, transitionally turns to all the crowd and he says this, Come to me, come to me. Those of you who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon yourself and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Those scriptures, of course, indicate that Jesus is fulfilling the call of the central scripture to which we turn today in connecting with that central scripture from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Many of you will know this passage very well. I have given my own translation to, uh, attempting to highlight some things, and you can see it. It's, it's going to be on the screen, but it's also in your sermon notes today underneath where of course, the first main point is to turn the page. We do turn the page uh, literally and spiritually 
as we turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Hear now God's word. Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2. You all, y'all, you all, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak to Jerusalem's heart and proclaim to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Now, let me ask you something very personal today. Are you grieving? Are you struggling with things and asking God to turn the page? Are you? And I have good news for you if you are. Jesus assures us, blessed are those who mourn. In other words, who are grieving over the way things are in their own life or in the world. For they shall be comforted. On the other hand, I have to be honest with you. I don't, I don't want to waste your time. There's no reason for the rest of us to waste your time. If you are perfectly comfortable on the current page in which we find ourselves on August the 22nd, 2021, the rest of what I'm going to say to you from the scripture is really irrelevant to you. And, and what Jesus, Jesus has nothing really to say to you. As Jesus says, you know, the, the father's going to have to open your heart to come to him. And if you're perfectly comfortable where you are and where our nation is and where the world is right now, you probably have nothing that you're grieving or mourning over and you don't need a page turn. So let me just invite you. You can go ahead. You're not going to embarrass anybody. You can go ahead and leave right now. Go grab a cup of coffee. On the other hand, um, if you're not totally comfortable with where you are, where this nation is, where the world is right now, then what I want to invite you to do is yield yourself and yield your heart to the Holy Spirit to even amplify your grieving and your mourning and asking God to turn the page, to turn your page and to turn our page. This message, of course, relates directly to what I preached about last Sunday as, as, we, as we looked at Isaiah chapter 37 and said the center of the heart of prayer is to ask the king from his throne, that is God, to rule, to rule you, to rule the world, to rule our nation. And if he does that, he's going to turn pages. That's just the way it works. If you're asking for God's will to be done for the kingdom to come, you are asking for page turning. Again, though, if you're snugly at home in 2021 and you just like pandemics and political collapse and uh, terrorism and you know corruption and those kind of things, then don't ask for anything from God. But, but I, I have to warn you, if you ask God to rule, he's gonna turn pages. I hope and I pray that God is working in you a conviction and a troubling that is asking you and compelling you not to be comfortable where you are right now and where we are right now. Because I have good news for you. If you are interested in or open to being interested in page turning, God is a page turner. Jesus turns pages. That's, that's, that's what the good news is about. 
In fact, the gospel itself is a page-turner. And I mean that in more ways than one. Yes, it's a double-triple entendre. Our God, who gives us the good news in Jesus Christ, turns the page for everyone who turns to him. God turns the page. God, the Father, think about this, you know, with your little hand, he guides you by his hand to turn pages. That's, that's what God does. God calls us in the power of his Holy Spirit to change and to be change agents and to serve his change. So turn the page. Turn the page. This is what the gospel is about, to turn your page from being fallen to forgiven. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's pretty incredible. From being judged to being justified, from being rebels to being the redeemed. Isn't that awesome? That's, that's the good news. From being slaves of sin to sanctified sons. That's what the gospel is. It is a page turner, a radical page turner. The gospel turns the page. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? Slightly improved with a new hairstyle? Talks a little bit nicer? If anyone is in Christ, he's, well, he's added on a little bit of Jesus to his lifestyle. Is that, no, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is hanging around and bothering me? Because I'm still stuck on the old page? Right? No, the old has gone. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Gospel is a page turner. Jesus is a page turner. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Turns the page on the entire book of Isaiah. Turns the page on the entire Old Testament and sets out the blueprint of the gospel of grace running all the way from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, all the way through the gospels and Jesus' coming in the New Testament. This is the page turner. We just hit it. This is why we're only doing two verses today from Isaiah, because I want to drill down on this reality that we need to understand and the good news that it brings to us, both in biblical understanding, but also about the gospel. First of all, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, really turns the page on the entire message and flow of the book of Isaiah. Yes, it is true. Isaiah chapter 7, 9, 11. We'll come back to some of this later as we move into Advent and Christmas or in that direction. But yes, there are prophecies about the Messiah. But most of the predominant message of even in the, the looking ahead to and hoping for the, the redeemer of the remnant and the Messiah. All of that, though, is in the midst of a context of mainly, honestly, failure, human failure and judgment. But you turn the page from Isaiah chapter 39 to Isaiah 40, and you get in this second main portion or third main portion, depending on the way you break it out, and what I would refer to as at least the sixth and seventh cycles, arguably the fifth, sixth, and seventh, that's the way I read it, of Isaiah, and you're in a new book. It's same prophecy, but it is a major pivot, okay? 
So where were we in Isaiah 39? Let's remember this. Isaiah chapter 39. We preached for about three Sundays on Isaiah chapters 36 through 39, and I told you this is kind of in the middle of Isaiah, not just literally or, you know, on the pages, but really what's going on in the story. And I mentioned to you, I said, I know this is confusing. You just have to bear with me. Chronologically, Isaiah chapter 38 and 39 precede what is described in 36 and 37. And the obvious question is, and then it's funny because Second Kings and the parallel accounts kind of follow this, uh, using Isaiah as key sourcing. But what is going on there? Why would you do that? And I mentioned to you a couple times that this is for theological reasons. Well, let's get back to the theological reasons now as we look at turning the page to Isaiah 40. So you'll remember that in um, Isaiah chapter uh, 38, we read about how faithful Hezekiah is. And God brings deliverance to Hezekiah uh, when Hezekiah is sick. And God says, get your house in order. You're about to die. Hezekiah prays to the Lord and the Lord grants grace to Hezekiah and says, okay, I'm giving you several gifts, including the fact you're going to live another 15 years, which was important, not just to Hezekiah, but to us, because as I reminded you, he doesn't have heirs yet. And he's the direct main line, regnal line of the house of David. And you and I are kind of interested in a guy named Jesus who's also in that line. So that, that 15 years was really important. But the other thing that God said to Isaiah uh, to give to Hezekiah is this. Assyria is not going to take Jerusalem. It's not happening. So you get that um, in the 17s going on with Hezekiah that's described in Isaiah chapter 38. And uh, then you get to Isaiah chapter 39, and Hezekiah is all recovered, and he's, he's fat and happy, and he's looking for alliances now that Sennacherib is the ruler of the brutal Assyrian Empire, and he decides he's really open to an overture from the Babylonians to make an alliance with them. There's a guy named uh, Merodach uh, Baladan who is now uh, in charge again in Babylon, and Babylon's trying to revolt against Assyria. And so that guy, Merodach Baladan, sends his emissaries to Jerusalem to meet with Hezekiah. And Hezekiah throws open the doors to him. It's like negotiating with the devil, right? So he says, he, he shows the Babylonians everything he has. It's like he spent billions of dollars on armaments, and he shows all this to the Babylonians and said, these are yours. I'll, I'll share these with you. We'll fight together. And he shows them everything that he has in his temple treasury. And, and when that happens, Hezekiah is outraged. And he brings the word of the Lord's judgment on Hezekiah the king. See, God has delivered Hezekiah, and, and now there's judgment on Hezekiah. And as I was telling you over the last few weeks, what we read in 36 and 37 about the deliverance from Assyria, that happens later, okay? That happens later. So why is Isaiah so keen on putting chapter 39, this fall of Hezekiah thing, right before chapter 40? And it's so you will get the turning of the page dramatically. Let me read you the closing verses of chapter 39. And then you can understand how dramatic it is to get to comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
This is Isaiah 39, picking up at verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, and remember, this is not just his personal house. This means a house of David. This means the whole kingly line and heritage under the Davidic covenant. Okay, this is big stuff. When all that is in your house, in David's house, and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. So you're not going to go down to the Assyrians, but later you're going to go down to the Babylonians. God is prophesying this, okay? And he holds true to his word. They don't go down to Assyria, but a little over a century after Hezekiah is going to die, all this that is about to be said will happen. Uh, nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will be from you, in other words, your grandsons and your great-grandsons, whom you will father, they're in your line, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs. Eunuchs. You understand what a eunuch is, right? Eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This is the last verse of Isaiah 39. Let me read it to you. This really goes out with a total disappointment and a whimper here. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. For he thought, well, there'll be peace and security in my days. Hey, as long as I can go to the ball games and buy a big screen TV, who cares what I'm leveraging onto my grandchildren? Really? Right? That is the last verse of Isaiah 39. And that sets you up for the surprise the surprise of the gospel of grace, Isaiah 40, 1 and 2. You all, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak to Jerusalem's heart. Your warfare, your time of striving is over, is going to be over. The Lord can already see that happening. It's beyond Babylon now. It's beyond. This is way out in the future. Your sin has been removed, has been pardoned. The Lord has now repaid you double for your sins. As I said, this is the blueprint for the rest of at least the gospel of grace in Isaiah 40 through 66. And really for Isaiah 40 all the way through the New Testament gospels. Warfare, travail ended. Iniquity removed. How is that possible? How is that going to happen? Well, I preached a lot on Isaiah 52 and 53 during Palm Sunday and Easter. You may remember those sermons. Go back and look. This is the blueprint. It's going to be played out through someone who's going to die for our sins and be pierced for our transgressions, prophesied in Isaiah 53. Connect that back to that middle of the three promises in Isaiah 40. Verse 2. You see those three promises, right? The three promises are key, and the central one about your sin being forgiven double connects to the suffering servant who dies for your sin, Isaiah 53. But let me tell you this this message from Isaiah, from God through Isaiah, is about you. It's not just about 2,700 years ago is not just about 2,500 years ago. 
It's not just about, and I can talk about this on Wednesday night, there are all kinds of interpretations we can talk about, about that third promise, about double for your sins, whether that's positive or negative, what that means as far as cycles of time. Uh, there's a lot going on there. I'm not doing that in this sermon today. Come on Wednesday night for that one. Uh, but this message is for you. How are your iniquities removed? Isaiah 53, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 53, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the monogonese, right? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And 3:17, John 3:17, oh yeah, really, to Isaiah 41, right? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Comfort, comfort my people. Second Corinthians 5.17, anyone, whoever believes in him, right? John 3.16, if anyone is in Christ, not just the best and brightest, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you're interested, then the good news is for you. And if you have that interest, it's coming from God working in your heart right now. Jesus is a page turner. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted for real. And then, so that's turn the page. Now, turn the page to your new job. God's calling of Isaiah. This is a totally page-turner deal for Isaiah. His ministry that's recorded basically in effect in 1 through 39 is, again, primarily a ministry of some good news about the Messiah in the future, but basically mainly couched in judgment. And a ministry under the commission of that's recorded in Isaiah chapter 6, where God... You know, God calls Isaiah in this theophany. Isaiah responds, and God says, go and preach to these people, and they're not going to hear you. They're gonna, I'm going to give them fat ears and fat hearts, and they're not going to want to listen to you. And that runs all the way through the New Testament and the gospel presentation of Jesus. A lot of people reject, right? So that's a pretty kind of downer for a commission. Well, now we get what is clearly, and in chapter 40 of Isaiah has a lot of similarities in language and linking to Isaiah chapter 6. We get what is going on with a commissioning here. That's why, in part, we're preaching this today on Commissioning Sunday for our Sunday school leaders. So there's a commissioning going on, but Isaiah, it's like he has a new commission, right? Instead of preaching mainly judgment and a hope for a Messiah, you know, off there somewhere, a child born to us, now, all of a sudden, God says, here's your ministry. You preach comfort to this downtrodden remnant. You preach to the little holy seed that's going to be in the burned out stump. I'm giving that to you. And think about what this means for Isaiah. If we track the history that we've learned from this series, you'll kind of remember that Isaiah is probably now in his 70s. 
Okay, he's, he's, he's moving into old age. I know a lot of us don't like to deal with this, but once you're in your 70s, you are considered a little bit older. Okay? So he, he's now in his 70s after, after four or five decades of ministry up to this point. And now in his old age, he's going to suddenly be preaching about comfort to the remnant. You know? And that's his, that's, that's his role. But was it easy? No, not at all. Because in 698, okay, Three years after the deliverance, the final God follows through with delivering Jerusalem from Assyria. Three years later, Hezekiah dies. His son who takes over is horrible. Manasseh, the worst of the worst of the kings of Judah. Does Manasseh appreciate old Isaiah's old age ministry of comfort? No way. In fact, the strong Jewish historical tradition is that Manasseh's men saw the prophet Isaiah in two when Isaiah is inside of a tree, saw him in two. That is not directly in the Bible in the Old Testament, but let me tell you this. When you go over to Hebrews chapter 11 in the kind of the roll call of the Old Testament saints, you get to this point in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, uh, talking about the prophets. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. And if you looked at that in Hebrews 11 and you said, Pastor Martin, tell me where I can read in the Old Testament about somebody literally being sawn in two. I would say it's not directly in the Old Testament, but the tradition is, which being reflected through Hebrews 11, is that Isaiah was sawn in two by Manasseh's men. Killed, martyred. But that is Isaiah's commission. But here's the bigger story. That's part of the reason we're doing my translation here, because you, you miss it in the English. This is an imperative, a command of commission to second person plural. That's why I've got you all. It's not just randomly comfort, comfort my people. It is a command to a group, to a plural group. So it's not just Isaiah. Now, as you can imagine, scholars and exegetes fight all over the place. There are all kinds of papers and books and arguments written about who is this group that... God is addressing and commanding to get into this ministry of comfort. And I would say, let's not get into that. We can talk about that a little bit on Wednesday nights if you want to. But the basic message is it runs all the way through you. And all the, if you are a Christian, this command extends to you. The second person plural, you all, includes you. Comfort. And it's a command from God. It's not a suggestion. This is a command. It's, it's imperative now. Comfort, comfort my people. My people, says your God. So the call is to all of us. So gets us back to turn the page to your new job. What is your job? To be engaged in this ministry, to follow through on this command to you all, right? Second um, Corinthians 5.17, I've quoted it a couple of times. What comes after that? 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ as if God were making his appeal through us. Comfort, comfort, my people, you all, says your God. What does Jesus ourself say to us? What does he command us to do as his people following the resurrection? You, you all, second person plural, go and make disciples of all nations, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Teaching them to obey 
everything I've commanded, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. We call that the Great Commission. Is that just for a few people in, I don't know, office chairs somewhere, off at some national headquarters? No, that is for us, for you. And so today, as we consider God's call, Jesus is calling us to turn the page to our new job, your new job. Because Jesus doesn't save you as a spiritual insurance policy to make sure you don't go to hell. He saves you with a purpose. He saves you to be a disciple of his engaged in his mission. And if you say, well, that's kind of not my thing or I'm not really involved right now or I'm too busy with other things, you're not saved or you're being totally disobedient and rebellious against God. Because if you are in touch with Jesus at all, you know he is calling you to be his witness, to be his ambassador, and you are passionate about that being your first priority on Sunday mornings and every day that he gives you to live. Otherwise, you are not listening to or not hearing in the first place from Jesus. He's not the Jesus of your invention. He's not Santa Claus. He's a king who calls you to action. This is who the real Jesus is. So turn the page to your new job, the Great Commission. Uh, Beatitudes, I've quoted them a couple times. They open with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted because of course that links to our passage from Isaiah 40, okay? Comfort my people. But then how, how do the Beatitudes end? How are they framed? Poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. Anybody kind of remember Matthew chapter five, 11 and 12? Blessed are you when others revile you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad because so also they persecuted the prophets like Isaiah who came before you because I'm calling you to a prophetic ministry, Jesus says, and I'm blessing you through being my prophet, my messenger, my commissioned, engaged witness to the world. That's why he closes the Beatitudes with that. This, turn the page to your new job. And then on that line, I have some good news to share. Just in Sunday school today, I love this story. In the midst of grief, so much good news. So Susan Gamble shared this with us today in Sunday school. This is, this is awesome. So Bill Gamble's beloved uh, brother-in-law, James Sellers, husband of Bill's sister, Mary Jean, wonderful man, wonderful man all through his life, good man, good husband, faithful husband, faithful father. Nevertheless, he was in the mode of some men that we may know, women too, but men definitely, who, uh, they're good men, but wife goes to church, husband never goes to church. And on top of that, husband is, you know, relates to God by hunting and fishing and kind of doing some things outside and being a good husband, but has never come on his knees to Jesus, has never turned the page. Because he's pretty good as it is, right? Well, maybe not, right? So five years ago, James's daughter, Tricia, wrote a letter to him and said, you are a wonderful father. I love you so much and you have so many gifts and you're so faithful and you've done so much for me. But there's one gift you can give to me and give to yourself that it far exceeds anything else you could ever do. Surrender to Jesus, believe in Jesus, come to Jesus, 
give your heart, give your life to Jesus. Tricia wrote that letter five years ago. This summer, as James was dying very swiftly from leukemia, remember he's been on our prayer list, diagnosed with a really aggressive case of leukemia. About a month ago, they were going through things in the house and they wanted to bring some special things to James, you know, as he was dealing with the leukemia. And they found this letter from five years ago from his beloved daughter, Tricia. And he read the letter and God spoke to him. And when his, I believe it was his wife's pastor came to speak to him, God had been working on him. And he said, I need to talk to you about what my daughter wrote to me. And James, a few weeks ago, a few weeks, just a couple weeks before he died, received the Lord Jesus and acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior because his daughter was faithful enough to reach out to him. He didn't do it five years ago, folks. It's not, this is what we're learning in Isaiah. God's timing is different than ours, but it was there. And she was faithful not only to turn the page, but to turn the page to her job, which is always persevering to be a witness for Jesus, especially with the ones you love most. Turn the page and get with your new job. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.